Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. Every year in August, the small Swiss town of Locarno plays host to another wave of stimulating, sometimes unclassifiable cinema. It's become a vital stop for cinephiles, with a film culture that cultivates an alternative aesthetic and is constantly developing what can be done with film. This year at Locarno, the highlights ranged far and wide, including a devastating family drama from Hong Sang-soo, a wonderfully weird 13-and-a-half-hour film composed of multiple genres, the feature film debut of British photographer Richard Billingham, and a Leo McCary retrospective. The three premieres I just mentioned will go on to appear at the New York Film Festival. To talk about these and other highlights, I sat down with two critics with a connection to Locarno. Jordan Cronk, I'm film comment contributor. I also run the Locarno in Los Angeles Film Festival, which is a kind of satellite edition of the Locarno Festival. It takes place in LA every April. And from the Critics Academy at Locarno, Becca Volker, PhD student in film theory at Harvard University. Here's our conversation. Locarno maybe requires a little bit of a description. Jordan, would you like to provide the potted history? Sure, I can try. <laughs> uh, well, Locarno, I suppose, is one of the five major European film festivals, although maybe not as well known worldwide. They, they specialize or take pride, I think, in showing work by younger filmmakers in addition to uh, kind of underrecognized or uh, more difficult older auteurs. So you get a good combination of both. And they have sections to vote, devoted to younger filmmakers with filmmakers of the present, which we'll talk about a couple, I think, highlights that we like. And yeah, the com- competition tends to be a, a mixture of... Uh, International premieres of, uh, of films that might have screened in other places, such as uh, Kent Jones's Diane is a good example this year that screened in, uh, already premiered in the, the States, but hasn't screened internationally. And then also new films that uh, haven't screened anywhere by, uh, you know, recognized uh, tours that, that generally play can and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. Otherwise, this is a 71st edition. And the last year, I guess, of, uh, under the reign of uh, Carlo Chatrian, who's been the artistic director for the last seven or so years, over which time they've awarded a lot of major uh, major international uh, filmmakers, Lab Diaz, Albert Serra, Pedro Costa, people like that. So uh, if that's your cup of tea, this is the, uh, <laughs> this is the festival, <laughs> this is the podcast for you. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. generally the, the idea here. Yeah, uh, Wang Bing was a Wang Bing last year. winner last year. Right. So I, yeah, Song. maybe more, slightly more esoteric or uh, what some might consider difficult filmmakers uh, yeah. get get a lot of uh, shine here, I guess. Yeah. I thought last year was kind of interesting because the, the head of one of the juries was uh, Olivier Assayas. So, right. you know, it's, it's uh, in, people in, in the know. It's a cinephilic <laughs> festival, cinephilic, yeah. certainly. And Zhao Zhengke is the, the president of the jury this year. So, yeah, yeah. I think they're going to probably also award a... Uh, that, that kind of film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's why you should pay attention. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll go through some of the highlights. Uh, we're about, there's a little bit left of the festival, uh, but we'll be able to talk about major films, such as the next Hong Sang-soo film, and then a very interesting film called La Fleur, uh, which is, I don't know what you would call it, a postmodern serial. Sure, yeah, 14-hour like uh, 
serial anthology film, I guess, uh, eight-part film. Yeah, uh, and then a, a you know, couple of very nice dramas. But maybe we can start with the Hong Sang-soo, just because maybe that's... Sure. Ho Hong won the Golden Leopard here a few years ago with the Right Now, Wrong Then. Um, this is a slight shift away from the kind of conceptual films he's been making recently as far as like narrative uh, games that he likes to uh, engage in a lot. This is more of a straightforward film, I feel like. Darker film. He's been making some fairly dark films recently. Um, this, I guess, as plot-wise, centers around a hotel. Um, a river in Korea somewhere and hotel by the lake hotel by, the, oh yeah hotel did by, we say that I don't know. <laughs> hotel by the lake hotel is the name of the, the name of the film that's true yeah um, with the gloat with a older uh, older man a father and his two sons coming to uh, kind of reconcile with him uh, and then a s kind of side story with a, a female uh, filmmaker mm -hmm. uh, staying in the hotel as well and the stories kind of uh, intersect as the uh, movie goes along, but as far as the actual narrative, it's it does move in a fairly linear fashion for Hong. I would say shot in black and white, very beautiful movie uh, starring Kim Yi again, his uh, muse of recent years, mm -hmm. uh, and a number of the male actors he tends to work with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know, I, Nick, I think you liked it, although we haven't talked about it yet. I'm assuming you did. But. I did. I did <laughs> like it quite a bit. Um, and and it just kind of really like, I don't know, really just. Um, immediate way. I just, uh, I don't know if there was, there was just something touching about really about the, the father character who's this poet and I guess, you know, basically earnest, having this like earnest response to beauty around him. I mean, obviously also, I guess a bit of a, bit of a put on, <laughs> you know, because he uses it as a way to approach women, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he uh, also just seems to live in this life of the mind. Um, I don't know. I think this guy has substance. I, I just, I liked, you know, watching him kind of bumble about in the hotel and try to connect or not, and not being able to connect with, with his two kids who are these, these kind of feuding brothers um, who just in an instant, you see them as if they're 12 years old when they start <laughs> bickering, you know? Um, and the setting's nice. Um, I mean, I guess you'd say it's basically his four rooms. No. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. It's <laughs> uh, it's not all like that. Um, but yeah, that was that was my response. Just it's yeah, like you said, not not the sort of game playing. I mean, there are people who kind of wake up, and is it all a dream? But that's that's not really right. Yeah, he still engages in the little in the kind of is are things moving into a dream state and whatnot. But as far yeah. as yeah, the l plot being semi. Uh, linear, I would say. It's different than a Right Now, Wrong Then, for example, which, you know, regenerates halfway through and utilizes the same characters in different situations and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I do find it interesting, I mean, his second straight film he's made about suicide, which I find interesting. This is not giving anything away, by the way, but right. <laughs> uh, the movie he made, or premiered earlier this year, Grass, uh, also deals with that. So, I mean, I, well, I talked to him last year about, uh, I mean, made, he's made six films in the last two years, but he, he did admit to making more emotional, darker films recently. I don't know what precipitated that exactly, but a fairly fruitful period for him, I feel like. Um, yeah. And he's continues to bring films to festivals all over the world, which is nice for us, but getting them stateside sometimes is a yeah. challenge. Yeah, that's, I mean, we, you know, he was on our cover for our November, December issue. Um, <clears throat> it was actually, I think our first cover where we actually shot someone on Lincoln Center, Film Society in Lincoln Center. And, but yeah, it's strange, you know, just 
with with kind of alarming consistency, he doesn't really get like a wide release usually. I mean, that's changing a little bit um, with, I mean, Cinema Guild. They've been supportive of their recent films for yeah. sure, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. which is which is good good to see. But before that, you'd have films that just get totally lost. I mean, something like Ha Ha Ha, I think never never came out. Saw the light. Of, Hill, Hill of Freedom as well, I yeah, think, Hill which is one of his best films. I think. Ever. I mean, they'd have maybe individual screenings, but like for a release, it wouldn't. I, I remember one film got a release at the um, Maisel's Cinema, I think, in New York. So it's it's uh, yeah, hasn't had a wide reach, which is a pity. And, and I can only speculate about, about why, because, you know, I mean, he was, it was weird. Cause it was like catch 22. He was branded as like a Korean Romare or something, you know? Right. And I'd think, Oh, well, there's a good marketing hook in that. But I guess the traditional art house is, is still kind of viewed as Eurocentric and, and, and anything else can, I mean, just speak very broadly, but uh, right. I mean, it's not like, I guess, Zhao Zhangke is like, racking up the, the <laughs> box office lucre. So I guess that's, that's Hotel by the Lake. Another big title here that we can go into is Ray and Liz. That might be a good one to do. Becca, do you want to set the scene? Yeah. Um, the scene for me began yesterday at 9am and it was quite an abrupt beginning to this, to this film because, um, so yeah, Ray and Liz is a, based on an autobiographical, based on the, the childhood and upbringing of the British photographer Richard Billingham, who kind of rose to fame in, in Britain in the 90s with his very gritty photographs of his parents in this council flat, seventh floor council flat in Birmingham in the, the Midlands. And um, he since then kind of had this seed of a, an idea to make a film about this. Um, and that that's what is here this week it's uh i found it quite interesting the film goes between three eras um when he and his brother are, are tiny they're like two and five years old then when they're um teenagers and then um the the final era uh is when his his father so that's ray of the title is living on his own and um drinking through his days and nights and as sad as it sounds it was actually pretty humorous in parts and Very funny movie, yeah. yeah but not told in order either the, these three right. parts either which is interesting and not like demarcated in any way to like it takes a little while to figure out the characters you're watching and wh where they are and in, in the time uh you know shown in the film which is interesting but yeah i found it very strong as well a beautiful movie he's obviously a photographic eye but uh, as it like can working in cinema very well I found it like pictorially like very very striking. It's shot in academy ratio. Uh, not a lot of camera movement. Mostly set in apartments. And uh, the way he utilizes space in, in there is really, I thought, impressive considering this is his first first film. Yeah. Apparently he worked quite, um, I was talking to him yesterday, he worked quite closely with the, the DP on this right. and, and would get behind the camera himself. And um, yeah, I think you can really see the photographs in the shots. Right. And apparently he also used his, his photographs from the 90s to figure out the, exactly the pattern of the wallpaper or the type of furniture. And then they, um, they shot it in the same apartment that he actually did grow up in. Right, These are the film is based on a photo, a set of photos he did make, right, at one point? Yeah, I, yeah. Okay, I don't know much about series. it beyond, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, but then, you know, using a cast and right, right. Um, I think there are some kind of slippages into fiction in which he found a bit more freedom. 
yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I thought it was very, actually very warm and very humane. And, and there aren't really villains. Like when the, in one, in one section, the social services person comes to the right. apartment, but there's not, you know, they don't drag a child away or there's no, it, it's pretty balanced. Mm. It'll, um, yeah, elicit sympathy for the parents who aren't always the most uh, responsible parents, I suppose you could say. Mm. <laughs> uh, but they're very human characters, I feel like. And by the end, you really care for them. And especially when it moves into like the older period when, when Ray and Liz are a little older and you see how, what's gone on in their lives and what they've uh, lived through. It builds up to a pretty emotional place, I felt like. And mm. yeah, very, I think overall, super impressive. The cast is great. The kids that play, that play a, presumably a version of him. And, uh, and, and we mustn't brother. forget the animal cast as well. There's, exactly, there's, yes. there's a kind of menagerie in their apartment. And his, his younger brother, um, Jason, we see kind of connecting with animals a lot more than his parents because he's neglected. Um, but I thought that was really interesting as well because we see so many, so many shots of animals who seem to be witnessing what's going on. And I thought, mm. yeah, maybe this film is a lot about witnessing and that could be a way for Billingham mm. to speak about photography even. Mm. Um, and an archive or testimony. How does it compare to, to his photography? From I mean, you said that maybe there's a little room, sort of a slippage since it's fiction, um, but has it, is it like softened a little from, from like some of the photographs or, or how much does it feel like recreation as well? Yeah, I think some of it is startlingly similar. Yeah. Formally, um, which I really enjoyed. But then you, I think, like you were saying, Jordan, with the, the like moving between the different eras, that really adds another dimension. And also it's as if he's using different lenses to kind of move through the different, the people that we get to know as well. So sometimes we're um, following his, his younger brother a bit more, or sometimes it's much more focused on his mum. So I think in that way as a film, it's doing a lot, a lot well, I don't want to say more, but it's different to the, the mm. body of photographs. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, and I was also wondering, you know, just since a lot of the, great contemporary works like by Mike Lee or, or Terrence Davies uh, often have that same same milieu a little bit. It's like a grimier Terrence Davies film, <laughs> I feel like. Some bits are pretty remind grimy. Me of, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's almost, yeah, Distant Voices Still Lives, but set in a very uh, lower class milieu. But mm. yeah. There's a, there's a lovely thing as well um, that's going on with falling and rising or this is quite a kind of formal um and playful thing like so so initially early on they're living in a small terrace one up one down house on mm. a street in Birmingham and then they um they get moved they they get evicted and they have to move to the seventh um story of an apartment block so this is rising but then we see that classic thing of like the little boy dropping objects out of the window and seeing <laughs> right. them nearly bash someone over the head and then you've but, and then there's also of course this idea about falling there's a lot of drunken stumbling we yeah. see his father really mm. kind of falling in socioeconomic terms yeah and used comedically in one sequence which is like an amazing scene where uh the kind of evil brother shows up for a while right and, mm. and gets uh is it an, another is it I think his he's uncle, a yeah. uncle drunk, right? Uh, kind of an overweight uncle, and uh, who's maybe a slightly uh, mental problems of some sort. And the evil brother comes and gets him drunk, and ends up uh, essentially framing 
him who's supposed to be babysitting the kids. And mm. it's mm. very, very funny sequence where they essentially go through like a whole box of alcohol in mm. a few minutes. No, the, the acting's yeah. really brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of comical. It's very, very physical, um, effective. I mean, I found it difficult watching the, the amount of homebrew that Ray is drinking mm. at nine in the morning. Oh, yeah, at you the end just... it devolves into him, uh, yeah, drinking with the... A, is it a friend, family friend brings him, yeah, yeah. like three bottles of a uh, homebrew per black, day, basically, yeah. Black Jeez. stuff, yeah, his heart <laughs> is quite heavy. And it was 9 a.m. for him drinking and 9 a.m. for us watching. Yeah. And I found that a little... <laughs> Strong stuff, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, and I mean, this this also maybe sounds like a movie that, that'll travel a bit. Right. I mean, uh, beyond the car, I, I mean... Yeah, it's a fairly, it's the only, is it the only English language film in competition here? Might be. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to travel. Is Diane in competition? Oh, Diane too. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. How did you find the the uh, the language, by the way? Because it's Birmingham, it's a Brummie accent. I could have used <laughs> subtitles actually for some yes. of it, right? Which it happens <laughs> a lot of uh, British films. But, uh, <laughs> it actually helped with the having a couple other language subtitles down there. I could catch a couple words okay. in other languages <laughs> that helped. And a melange. <laughs> um, well, let's 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 talk about another movie. I think it might be interesting to talk about this, just because it's such a strange phenomenon. It's a strange beast. I speak, of course, of La Flor, uh, this Argentine film by Mariano Linas. Yeah. Genos, maybe. Sorry, Mariano. Uh, <laughs> but this is a teen- fourteen and a half hour film, roughly. Um, of, of many parts. His previous film, Extraordinary Stories, was five hours, I think, right? Yes. Four and a half hours. Uh, so this is more epic than that, I guess. No stranger to the behemoth form. <laughs> how have you both been watching it? Every day in small parts or in, in Nick big has, doses? Right? I'm yes. curious Every how people day. are going to absorb this film. Yeah. I, I'm going to do it in a big chunk. This is my, <laughs> my plan yeah, for Thursday. I'd be interested to hear what yeah, the effect I mean, is. Well, they offer two, two options on the menu. <laughs> uh, you, you can either watch it um, like one episode a day for a number eight of days, days for eight days, one episode a day, or you can watch it in, in two insane days, three insane is it, days. Is it three perhaps three. Yeah, prescribed by the, yeah. the doctor? Three, three insane days in large. Well, doses. maybe, yeah, I guess we should like describe how it's set up. It yeah. is. So the film is eight episodes long. Um, but within that, there's only six stories. Um, and each of those stories stars the same four actresses. Each of the stories have no connection to one another. So it is a, like a serial uh, anthology type film. So the, the story does not connect at all, uh, which makes it easier as far as viewing per day or whatever. Um, you don't have to watch it even in order, I don't believe. Um, although it does help, I think. Um, and they're very different genres. Very di- so right? yeah, and every uh, every episode is also in a different genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts with uh, the more accessible stuff is kind of front loaded. Uh, starts with the actually it's funny. Mariano comes out and introduces the film at the beginning, and tells you the genres he's going to work through. First one's a B movie, kind of a horror, uh, Jacques Tourneur type uh, cat horror film, um, and uh, Mummy. with with mummies. And uh, then the second one is a. Uh, kind of a musical uh, mystery and yeah. the third one's a spy film spy film which I think you're are you you're I mean, watching this, this right yeah the spy film is next and then after the spy film uh, then it moves into uh, the kind of more esoteric uh, angle I suppose the fourth story uh, according to the director, he even in the intro says he has no clear idea what it is. It it is sort of a <laughs> a Locano film. Then. It, it is. It very much is. It's sort <laughs> genre, of a, right. it deals with a film crew who are off making a movie, and the director is obsessed with like 
filming a certain kind of tree. So they're traveling all around and then it kind of moves in a weird direction where the cast uh, or the, the film crew kind of gets lost and then uh, morphs into something else where mystery transpires and uh, sort of reminded me of the Chaffinch's episode in Arabian Nights, which I think this is probably the closest mm. antecedent to, the, to that film. Okay. Uh, and anyway, and then it moves into a, uh, a kind of a riff on genre Renoir's A Day in the Country, a silent uh, black and white episode for mm. the, the, the second to last one. And then the last one's a very abstract uh, piece where the, you can't actually make out much in the frame. It's very impressionistic based on a, a series of uh, writings, I think, by an Argentinian writer. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, it moves in a direction that probably is not foreclosed at the beginning when you're, uh, yeah. when, when you're, when you're watching these genre-type films at the beginning. But yeah. they all, I think it works very well overall, and uh, each of the genre films, I think, work as standalone pieces that could be good genre films. Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Of the episodes? Mm. I like the, the the last few, actually. I think the, it, it's kind of maybe perverse to say it, but like the last five and a half hours are like very sustained brilliance, I think. And uh, so... <laughs> this is like the TV thing, right? So you just have to watch the first four seasons mm-hmm. and they're terrible, but once you get to the fifth, it starts getting better. And then the sixth is okay. No, I will say, so he's been shooting this over 10 years with the same actresses. So you, and they're, I think, presented in order. So the first few episodes, you're seeing them quite a bit younger than they are at the end. And I think it, kind of shades the the earlier episodes as you move along and you can see uh their kind of progression over the years and it makes i think as you go along the, the first ones seem different or make, makes you kind of perceive them in a different way and i think it holds together in that way because yeah as, as as you're watching it i feel like some people may may not give it a chance if they're not fully on board with like the the more genre type stuff in, in the in the first few episodes yeah and and i mean the, the funny thing about being this pastiche that it is or or series of serials that it is is that it's not it's also not just like a throwaway like parodies the the, the tone of it it's no it's, it's not like they're sarcastic winking to the camera um at, at all really i mean none of the people in the film are winking at the can- no. camera there's a fair amount of voiceover that sometimes has a little i don't know urbane cynicism or something about what's going on but but it's 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 something you know as, as you said you can kind of in, enjoy it as kind of a somewhat corny or goofy at times like you know spy movie or I mean there's there are Tintin references if there are any Tintin <laughs> fans in the audience and I, it's almost sometimes that that level of just kind of sort of over the top but maybe if you were 10 years old this would be the world to you so yeah yeah I don't think I mean he's not trying to uh, I don't think redefine storytelling per se obviously it's working through very uh, you know set boundaries sort of at, in the beginning but I think he's trying to rethink how stories are utilized and stories function within a greater uh, context. A lot of the, these mini films don't have an ending. They, they kind of leave you hanging before they get to like the reveal or the climax, so to speak. So yeah, I find it interesting that some of them, you, you watch the first few and they're not traditionally uh, you know, three acts or uh, satisfying in that way. But as they build, I think it accumulates into something much uh, greater and more substantial than it might first uh, be perceived, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Have you spoken about the title? Or how, I'm just thinking, how impossible to title a big project like this? I feel like it's, a, I guess, just some f- the, the film flowers and yeah, <laughs> like a metaphor so. for uh, the storytelling. It seems like right. a, a broad enough title, I don't know, the petals mm. of a flower or, mm. or something blooming or something like that. Or right. 
I don't know. A reference to Umberto Eco's The Rose, perhaps. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, and then this, I don't know if we actually said any of the details of the different stories, but like the first story, I'll just do a couple of them because I don't want it. I mean, all, everyone's going to rush out and see this. <laughs> when, well, it when it comes to your town. When it comes to your town. Business goes to a standstill as everyone spends 12 hours, 14 hours. Uh, but I mean, there's one where like a, uh, you know, there's like an archaeological center dig where they get delivered a mummy just as everyone's about to go on vacation. And guess what? The mummy's kind of unhappy. So uh, <laughs> they have to deal with that haunting or whatever may or may not happen uh, with the mummy and cats. And, um, the, uh, and then the, like, the next one is like uh, about um, two singers, you know, who are this great duet a duo, and then they, they have a fight, and it's, it's you know, and, and then there's something about a scorpion that gives special powers or something. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's all very pulpy. Um, and, and It sounds fun. goofier than, it, I guess, how you're describing it. It is played yeah. very, it's straight straight film. It's a straight film. Fairly goofy. <laughs> yeah. For, <laughs> but yeah, but not winking like but you not, were saying. No, exactly. Yeah. But not winking, that's, and that's the thing. And, I, and a lot of that, I, I have to credit the actors. The actors are great. Because if there's anyone who, like, almost, like, wobbles the boat a little it's 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 the director with the the voiceover and his comments sometimes and right. he's, he's treading right to the edge of like right there is a part where he comes in i think in the second or third episode and he's like you are exactly 126 minutes away from the intermission basically <laughs> something like that so it's yeah. very self-conscious like he yeah he knows obviously he's making a, yeah. a very long film for a specialized audience i think yeah um but yeah the the third section, the spy film, I think, is incredible. As far it's like a that's the longest section, five hours plus, I think, uh, yeah. where it starts with like the final uh, portion of the story. Kind of you, you see like the end where where the, the characters have all come together, and then it kind of reboots and shows you uh, how all these uh, spy female spies came together. So mm -hmm. it's like an origin story almost wrapped up in the middle. <laughs> so uh, yeah, very very fascinating use of storytelling. I thought. Yeah, the, and the actors. Are really good at maintaining this this tone where they're just serious about it. I mean, they're really like professional in the sense that they're able to maintain this as well as like a professional like soap opera actors can, you know, where keeping up this certain pitch um, that that you really like, really want to watch and see see what happens. And then they're not taking out of it, and they're pretty uniform. So, I mean, in that sense, like it's a really good direction of actors that that, that he accomplished. It's also so, got the longest credit, se credit sequence oh, probably yeah. ever. It's uh, probably a good 40 minutes to end the film. So, uh. <laughs> Yeah, something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, and then, the, briefly, the history. Oh, for the film. Yeah. This isn't, yeah, I guess this is the, uh, the international premiere, the European premiere. Oh. Uh, it did, the floor we're talking about, did yeah. screen in Bifisi earlier this year. And what is that? It take place April, I think. Yeah. Um, and it won the top prize there. Portions of the first two episodes, I think, have screened in Mardo Plata and a couple other festivals mm -hmm. as he was making them. Yeah, uh, but as far as I know, this is the second time it's screened in full at a festival, mm -hmm. uh, and the first time in Europe. Um, yeah. So I, it remains to be seen how far it's going to travel. But yeah. the people I know who have seen it all seem to be very uh, enthusiastic about it. So that's good to see. And it is a ten-year-long uh, project, so it's good to finally see it come to fruition. Yeah. And I do think it's a very substantial movie when it's all said and done. Yeah. For some reason, I started thinking of Thomas Pynchon a little. But just because of some of the comic booky aspects of it, and right. the kind of self-conscious narrator kind of dipping in to to, to you know just discuss the the narrative structure a little bit. 
in some sense, it's a perfect film for nowadays because there's people so often now watch serialized yeah. TV and things of this nature. And I've actually already mentioned to people who are not film people at all and they think it's crazy to watch a 14 hour movie but when you tell them it's in eight parts and they're not connected like oh yeah it's just like watching tv i'm like yeah exactly so why is it that much different if i was watching a 14 hour uh you know single narrative or whatever yeah i think about that all the time you know people are like that's outrageous um i have to go now because i have to go watch four seasons of the americans or something (laughs) but yeah you can like uh like you're gonna do i guess watch it over three days right Mm. so that's i guess the energy would be different wouldn't it in uh you know in a kind of cumulative if you watch a chunk. I think so. I think it's made to be in the three parts, not in the eight episodes, but I guess it, it works either way. Yeah. Because they're, as you watch them, they are, uh, the three parts are, you can tell that they're separated into mm. those. Uh, like, I think the way if, the way Nick watches is watching it, some of the episodes cut off in the middle of stories, right? Yeah, and they're, yeah. and then they have the, it, yeah, it's a little strange. It's probably, it's better with the. Yeah. So, for me, it's like it's been it's been my job at the festival. <laughs> the, the, the screenings happen to be in the morning, so I you know I wake up, I go punch in, watch something crazy, leave. Next morning, I go there again. It's, it's a. It's, I'd it's rather a, be watching the the genre films in the morning than some of the other uh, more uh, lethargic films I've seen <laughs> at, at nine a.m. Let's just say so. Yeah. yeah. We can talk about a good one, though, maybe. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Ooh. Delayed but significant, uh, yeah, fire. Yeah. <laughs> which, which one were you thinking? Um, I don't know. Is there another? Oh, maybe oh, the, uh, the first film, or the first film that I saw, sorry, uh, called uh, Too Late to Die Young, maybe? Too another late competition to die, yeah. film? Yeah, the, by, uh, it's from uh, Chile. Chile. Domingo Sotomayor? Is that his Yeah. Sofia Osto. Domingo Domingo Sotomayor. Yeah. Yeah. Second feature, is that, that right? Third feature, I think, Third feature. actually. I've only seen, I think there's been two others. I've seen one, which I like quite a bit, and this one's also uh, quite good. Um, I think, like I said, it was the first thing I saw, and I've seen dozens of other movies, but as I'm sitting here thinking about it, it is one of the... Uh, stays with you, doesn't it? Yeah, one of, the better, one of the better competition films, certainly. I think me and Nick had a conversation, like, we're like, yeah, it's a nice movie. But then I think those... There's a danger in like underrating or taking for granted stuff like that. Yeah, it's a quieter. It's not a flashy movie at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's definitely like a quieter, quieter film. And yeah, especially alongside. I mean, let's just say something like Ray and Liz. I mean, both of the films in a way are like, you know, I don't know if you'd say coming of age or at least like right. childhood right. stories. Um, Ray and Liz comes with a kind of modish pedigree a little bit, you yeah. know, because he's a photographer. And this one is maybe less so. Um, just as well, I mean, not just as well, but just as, um, I don't know, carefully thought out uh, visually. Um, it's a story about, is it set, I couldn't quite tell if it's set in the 80s. It's 1990. 90s, yeah. Okay, yeah, 1990. So this is, um, I don't know if that speaks more to the problems of costuming, but uh, <laughs> uh, or the fact that the decades will run together as you get ancient-er and ancient-er. Um, but so it's about a few families that seem to live in the country, sort of off the gridish a bit. Yeah. Um, I was reading, it seems like um, Sotomayor uh, grew up in an organized community, and okay. I wonder whether there's kind of elements of, of, right. of that playing out here. Yeah. Yeah. It seems semi-organized, doesn't it? But beautifully chaotic and yeah. ramshackle. It's true. Yeah, yeah. They just seem to get together a lot and, and have, have parties. and, 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 and In then, this sort of forest. Yeah, and then sometimes they complain about how the electricity is getting there or not and how that's going to ruin things or not. Actually, as a sidebar, it's kind of interesting how many filmmakers come from a kind of commune background. Mm. I'll, I'll name two others. <laughs> 
uh, Lars von Trier, right. and Alice Rohrwalker. I was going to say, the, yeah. the film reminded me a bit of her, of Rohrwalker's use of, uh, or way with actors and community, and sort of similar film to like The Wonders, I would say. Yeah. I would Minus maybe that. the magical realist elements of her films. This is maybe yeah. more, more straightforward. Um, but yeah, the way, the way she utilizes community and group dynamics, I think is pretty similar. And, mm. and the way she handles, I assuming a lot of non-actors are very young or if, if they are professionals there, they're new, new, newly professional probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was really subtle the way she did it, wasn't it? And, and going back and forth between, cause we're kind of following this 16 year old called mm -hmm. Sophia, isn't it? Um, she turns out to be yeah, like the main character. I guess, yeah. yeah. But then we we spend time away from her as well, which I thought was, was nicely done a kind right. of balance. Yeah, it's definitely an ensemble piece. Yeah, yeah. It is. It has a, a sort of a formless feel to it that eventually I think does work and builds to something that, like we're saying, it's a little understated. It doesn't come out and there's no like huge dramatic moments really in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the feel is. There's also the feel of like you're sort of trying to figure out whether the kids are are free or maybe a little neglected or right. or it kind of having to figure out maybe too many emotional things for themselves, but Again, maybe that's, that's good. Again, that's kind of speaking to Ray and Liz a bit, isn't yeah, it? Like true, in, the, yeah. in this film as well, we've got little children being like, uh, you know, can I have a drag of your cigarette or taking, <laughs> yeah. a, there's a New Year's party at one point in the kind of climax of the film and, and quite a lot of underage drinking right. um, going on. But I thought it was so sweet when, at one point there's a really young, she must be seven or something girl who's trying to, she really admires the 16 year old. And she says, can I, can I have a drag of your cigarette? And the, the, the 16 year old says, Sophia says, no. And then the girl tries persuading her and she says, I'm only little on the outside. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that <laughs> speaks for the whole film. Like it, it seems sort of nice. And we all say like, oh yeah, it was, it was nice to watch. But then it has this slightly larger thing going on that you, yeah, stays with you a bit. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of undertow. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I I I don't think I actually mentioned or described the like the, the visual um, scheme for it, um, it, which is I was a little wary at first because it does kind of have a bit of a faded, you know, Polaroid look yeah. to it, uh, which is and and a lot of the shots kind of uh, when when they're starting a scene, uh, especially early on, uh, they're very like kind of poised it's like this poised disorder disorder of like their their living room spaces um so you know i was like oh is this gonna kind of be like a fashion catalog a little bit um or it's almost a little i'll say a little instagrammy just the, the <laughs> yep. fadedness of it how that's become its own mm -hmm. language visual language but that fades away so to speak as 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 a it just becomes part of the the feel i felt of the countryside and and the and the period um, but yeah, and I, I, yeah, just thought I had a very fluid way of getting from scene to scene, um, uh, without feeling shapeless at all. There's some fun music as well, isn't it? Is it Maisie Star? Good, good music. music. Yeah. 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 Nice. Nice yeah. scene. She has, I mean, grew up in that era, obviously. So I think she has a good feel for capturing that, that era. Yeah. Even yeah. if visually, maybe it's a little, uh, juiced in the, in the back end, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, good dog too. Speaking good of dog, yeah. creatures, yeah. closing shots of animals has been maybe a theme. It's an emerging theme oh, yeah. here. Exactly. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that is uh, too late to die young. Also, you know, pretty good title, I have to say. What other? Well, maybe we can talk about a really Locarno-y 
<laughs> film in terms of like um, something that's you know maybe more experimental in the narrative or not really focused on traditional narrative arcs. Um, I was thinking maybe of uh, Sophia Antipolis. Antipolis, right? Uh, a movie I like quite a bit. Yeah. It is a, a Locarno type film, you're right? Uh, in filmmakers yeah. of the present, like we were saying, kind of for your younger filmmakers, I think first or second time features. Yeah, he made another film called Mercurialis, which uh, filmmaker's name is Virgil Vignet, something to that effect. That's a film where one of the like visual touchstones in the film are these housing towers in Paris, which are dead ringers for the World Trade Center, right. which is very disorienting when you're watching that movie. And it's, I think it's probably on purpose where he has some kind of really like loaded visual thing that then he's going to reinvent in his vocabulary. Right. Um, and I think that kind of happens in this film with a variety of things. He's a subtly political filmmaker, I think, even though his films are very low key and kind of, uh, yeah, not overly uh, dramatic or heavy handed. I feel like they're very casual. This is kind of a, I don't know, daisy chain type narrative where it kind of the stories sort of like LaFleur, like not connected. One character you know, they get in situations, they're like vignettes, and then the narrative kind of moves with another character into another situation, and it eventually becomes circular, where it kind of ends where it begins. Um, so it's hard to, I guess, describe the plot, but uh, it deals with, you know, racism and uh, gender, and uh, he he, see, he comes from this newer generation of French filmmakers, I think, who are using a lot of this uh, similar thematic material, uh, you know, there's, we saw a film in Cannes called Diamantino. Those filmmakers uh, are not French, but they do make films in French sometimes. Same with Benjamin Crotty, who has a film here. The, they, all, they all shoot on 16 millimeter. The films are really very beautiful and sensual hmm. and uh, are kind of uh, sexually ambiguous. And uh, they're, they're very French, let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I found it very kind of intriguing and seductive. And I don't really know... Uh, it's hard to just kind of describe in a in a sentence, but how to how to yeah. the atmosphere of the film is really unique. Yeah, it had a, it had a kind of cumulative energy, I think, which, like you say, it probably built up in part because the narrative bits initially didn't seem connected, and but each of them was very very distinctive and alarming or or yeah I want to say effective in places. Like it was making me think of the it's Kathleen Stewart, isn't it, who talks about these these moments of everyday life, these kind of ordinary moments when something really alarming happens, but it might be just a snatch of like a, a, a news headline that you heard or, or these little, sometimes quite violent things that happen. And I feel like that, that was consistently going on throughout the film and, and eventually kind of reaches a climax, not to um, give too much away. But that was very interesting for me. And yeah, they, they kind of do get tied together, maybe felt a tiny bit neat in the end, but... The journey there was really interesting, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, one of those movies that's kind of annoyingly hard to get to get across. But trust us, you should see this movie <laughs> at your earliest opportunity. Um, actually, um, I, I wrote about his last film, Mercurial. Uh, so there is that, if you want to get a bit of a, a, bit of a sense also about his previous work. For film comment, of course. Uh, and let's see, we're, we're probably coming toward the end of, of, uh, of our episode here. Uh, it's so very exhausting to talk about <laughs> these films. But I thought one thing we really should mention, because it's always a pretty interesting feature of the festival each year, is the retrospective. Right. And, and yeah. how that kind of 
plugs into and, and yeah. kind of plays with and talks to the rest of the festival. I didn't mention it at the beginning, but I think half the program in Locarno is older films, which yeah. I think is the, as far as the, the bigger film festivals that are premiering new work, that's the highest ratio, I think. And they always dedicate it to, uh, well, one major retrospective this year, it's Leo McCary, last year, Jacques Turner. They, under Carlo's reign, it's been uh, a lot of American uh, Hollywood filmmakers from you know, early to mid-century. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, last year, uh, the, the Jacques Tourneur one was really interesting how it, you know, there was good manners. Uh, it, it was, con you know, that was a movie. Oh, that, right, there's many new films that spoke to the yeah. older films. That was a well-done program. Yeah. I mean, good manners for me was probably probably improved by having just seen <laughs> some right. Turner films, and they were, I guess, fairly vocal about being Turner fans. I mean, then this year for the McCary, um, I guess almost just like the variety and the kind of gusto of his his storytelling comes to mind with Lafleur right. and and the and the humor of it a bit and, and having that that kind of playfulness there and um, and an ability to move through genre as yeah, well, isn't it? Yeah, really deal with exactly, them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I, did, did, have you guys seen any McCarries? I have not dipped my toes okay. in at the moment. <laughs> but it's nice but to I, have it there. Yeah. No, I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have a few on my schedule in the in the yeah. remaining days. So yeah. I saw I saw the um, which is the Laurel and Hardy one with their their upper skyscraper nearly falling off it. Oh, wow, I forgot um, the title. That, they were showing that in the the Piazza Grande, which is like an eight thousand seater. Uh, outdoor. Seeing some of these movies in that venue is always uh, surreal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of it's a time warp. You know, you go back to, I guess they showed older movies there, which is a good moment to mention this bit of trivia about the Swiss currency here. Yes, the the twenty franc note has the Piazza Grande screen. Oh, yeah, they have it on there now. On, right? on the banknote, which... Yeah, which had just happened within the last year, I think. In the last that year, that happened, so that's yeah. kind of great. <laughs> yeah. Officially the coolest currency now, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, take, take notes, U.S. Mint. Were but, there any uh, titles we haven't mentioned that we particularly liked that maybe um, other people haven't seen? I, well, I just wanted to mention one McCary film that, that I, I, I did happen to see, which was... The Kid from Spain, oh, right. which is uh, Eddie Cantor film, and you know he's he's kind of not the most charismatic <laughs> comedian, but he's still funny, which is kind of interesting to watch someone who clearly can put across a gag and really, you know, put his back into. <laughs> but but actually, he just like it's you know it's he, you know it's not enjoyable to, to to track him as a character. But it's about a guy who gets um, you know caught up with some bank robbers and goes to Mexico. And I kept thinking, oh, you know, this isn't great, but there's funny stuff in it. And there's like, you know, Busby Berkeley kind of dance, you know, sequences with, with bathing beauties and whatnot, just making all these geometric things. And I think, well, well, why haven't I seen this? Why on earth wouldn't I have seen this? This funny little film might have shown up at Film Forum. And then at the end, there's a blackface number. So, you know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, all right, that's, that's yeah. the reason, you know, where he's, he disguises himself. So there you go. So, you know, that's always something you have to think about. Um, and then I saw some shorts, too, that were pretty good. Charlie Chase sh uh, short. Um, I was going to say, the, it's always impressive to see how far yeah. they reach into the, uh, you know, annals of history to pick out, yeah. kind of, you know, strange, forgotten corners of even well-known filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. A couple of Chinese films that I thought were interesting. I, uh, I wonder if you've seen them. Suburban Birds was one, um, Q Sheng, and A Family Tour. Did I? Yes. Uh, oh, I've seen both, yeah. Yeah. And I like I'm forgetting both. the uh, director's name for a family tour. Ying Liang, right? Uh, he yeah. made a film called uh, Before Night Falls. Is that what it's called? Something like that. 
Yes. It was his like previous film also premiered here. Uh, mm -hmm. Hasn't made a film since then either because this film sort of about what's happened in the interim. Yes. Uh, this is a female filmmaker in the film, but it's based on, I think, his experiences uh, kind of making political films in China and not being able to go back there, I guess, and then work freely. And yeah. this is a film about a filmmaker who's not traveling uh, with her family, a mother and husband and son through uh, other parts of uh, Asia on a, on a tour with a film, with a new film. Another film that I think yeah. is in kind of danger of being underrated as well because it's very low-key. Mm. Uh, it's got quite a slow, thoughtful pace, isn't thoughtful, it? thoughtful, yeah. Very elegant film, poetic. Literally, at times, there's little poetic interludes where she's kind mm. of reading uh, her out loud her thoughts that she's written down. But yeah, I found it very uh, you know, moving and, and very well-made. But yeah, just yeah, low-key. Low <laughs> Wait, did you say the title of that second one? Or? No. Oh, the new one? Family Tour? Oh, I, I, oh, yeah, I thought you. Oh, I thought you switched tour. over to Suburban Bird. Oh, right? not yet. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's also a low Sorry. key film. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no, a family tour. Yeah, it's 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 strange to see these kind of, I don't know, extra filmic kind of struggles being the being the drama in a way. I don't know. It's funny, isn't it, seeing seeing that film because some of it um, takes place at a film festival. Right. This, oh, right. This yeah. Nice little reference to that. Yeah. Makes makes things a little more exciting here. <laughs> <laughs> there's another film we saw that there's a sequence set in Locarno too, which is a nice touch. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. Uh, um, and then Suburban Birds, I guess, was the mm. other Chinese one. That That's, was, yeah, that was kind of gentle, oh, wasn't no. it? It's, it? Again, slow-paced. Um, a mysterious movie, I think, like narrative-wise. Yeah. Kind of uh, plays yeah. with dream logic, maybe, or like what, you're not quite sure how where the story's going or how some of the characters also kind of... Uh, weave in and out of the story and you go back to who you think are the main characters and then they're gone for a long time. Yeah. Also a very locarno film and filmmakers of the present as well. They're, and, um, and the, but there are, there, there are two main, maybe, sets threads of, yeah. sets of characters. And you're not sure whether they're kind of parallel or they feel more like perpendicular or they, they, they kind of merge at times. Right. Yeah, I, I almost thought that they were one... Am I totally wrong that the one way of reading is that one was them grown up or something? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. That there's this engineer who's taking levels in this kind of rubble, don't know if it's under construction or being demolished um, site as, as an adult. And, and then we switch then. And I, I feel like possibly one way of reading it is that we go back in time and we see him yeah. as a boy playing. Um, and there's, a, there's a lot of... Again, another film about youth, maybe there's a real attention mm. to detail of play and um, yeah, make-believe and just how you use space as a child. And, the, and so these children are in the same site and playing in the rubble. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting that you say space just because the, the, they're surveyors, uh, yeah. in the, the adults are this, I don't know, it's like, the why take so many of them? It's like a light bulb joke. How many people does it take to like survey? Um, and they seem to barely be getting their job done. Exactly. They spend the nights kind of just drinking and hanging yeah. out, and and then doing land surveys during the day. Right. Yeah. That you know you know the hard drinking land surveyor. Life. <laughs> I'm, I hope we get all sorts of angry mail from cinephile <laughs> land surveyors. Um, but but I mean it's also a movie where I guess reality kind of intrudes too because. You know, there's 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 this plot, subplot about corruption that one of them discovers might be happening. 
it's quite an interesting um, like formal difference between formal languages going on in the, the two narratives as well. Like the sequences with the children, there's quite a lot of tracking and it feels um, kind of fluid. Yeah. And then there's, there's some really almost jarring, but I mean, they were interesting, these these zooms and it's, it's much more right. choppy when we're with the adults. Yeah, and it opens with a very almost like peephole pers- perspective or, or like a... It's like a point of view shot point through view the shot. land surveyor. surveyor tool, whatever that's called, like the kind mm. of a... The looker. The looker. Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> that's what I'm going to call yeah. it. But it's got like this blurry effect where it takes a while to get oriented around what you're looking at, what, yeah. what's going on. Then it switches perspective and you see that they're, you know, just taking measurements, surveying this land. Yeah, but, which reminded me a little of I Am Not Ben and Bovary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I like, I like that film too. It's interesting use of time and memory I thought mm. and yeah one of those ones again that I think sits with you after a while and has a very uh, strange uh, enigmatic ending which I liked a lot and, and yeah. kind of sits with you after a while well you know what we should we should we should end on a kind of I guess joyous pure film kind of note um, which I mean which is interesting because it's a movie that uses what's I, I don't want to call it stop motion. It's because it's just sort of capturing images. But that's the film by Jody Mac. Right. Uh, the Grand Bazaar. The Grand Bazaar. Right. Uh, the aptly titled Grand Bazaar. Um, it's it's kind of her specialty of using patterns and turning them, finding the sublime in them, and also just finding the overload in them, and finding the abstraction in everyday life in in a way. You know, it's. And that's always something that's funny because this is like, I guess, sort of an experimental film in that it's, right. you know, it's just several images that are sometimes extreme close-ups of like fabrics of many multicolored textiles and sometimes those textiles in the wild or placed in different locales. So it's abstract in, in that sense, but at the same time, these are fabrics. So right. these are things you're encountering uh, every day or maps. Maps are a big part of it. Um, so and I, travel, right? There's a lot travel. shot in airports and yeah. she's putting these fabrics on the conveyor belt that you pick your luggage up at. And yeah. It's a bit of a travelogue film too, yeah. 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 It uses, I mean, she uses uh, music in her films in an interesting mm-hmm. way, especially mm-hmm. the long, this is her first feature, we should probably mention. Oh, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally makes shorts. She made a medium-length film a number of years ago uh, called Dusty Stacks of Mom, which is maybe the you know, uh, the closest to this film that she's done in the past. It has less of a conceptual, uh, or less of a concept than that film, that, which was using uh, her posters from her mom's, uh, I think, poster shop, and also was kind of a, a rock opera type thing with the uh, dark side of the moon involved. Uh, <laughs> uh, this has uh, music as well for most yep. of the film and moves in very rhythmic waves where she's animating tons of fabrics, like like Nick was saying. It's got an amazing bit with that, um, the Skype ring right it does <laughs> yeah. which then gets mixed into a kind of dub yeah dubstep <laughs> yeah melange. yeah it's it's and that's it's that's like the an, an audio counterpart to the kind of visual sampling that's that's going on finding this very ordinary air in, in like musical sense <laughs> to turning something like that into <laughs> into a, a melody yeah uh, and yeah making it into into music and and she i guess she sings on a couple of the the songs or tracks, I think, works her voice into it. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I not sure. I, I need to. Uh, I want to dive into how some of the sounds and music were made because that's an interesting component to it. Because uh, yeah, some of her films are silent, or a lot of them are her shorts. So when she works with music, music, it's always very interesting because this is definitely a rhythmic uh, workout for most of the uh, for most of the running time. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I walk out, and it's just such a sensory 
you, your your eye has like no time. I just think of me. I, like, I remember taking this like survey course about how the eye works at one point, and I just like I just feel like all my neurons were just like completely besotted with with all the colors I, I just saw. Neuron uh, acrobatics. Neuron acrobatics. Yeah, and I was and I just I felt like my, my brain was vibrating afterwards in, in a way. It just like it, it was quite a vibrant because that was paired, wasn't it, with uh, a film called A Room oh, yeah. with a Coconut View. This. Yes. Thai, Thai film by Tulipop Sanjaran. I thought they, did you both, see, you saw them both together as well? Yeah. Yes. Quite a fun fun pairing in, it was in Science of Life, wasn't it? In Science of Life, yeah. So far, yeah, the Jodie Mac film was my favorite Science of Life film, I'd say. But yeah, well, a well-paired duo there. Another colorful, uh, kind of strange uh, personal film from a filmmaker I never have seen anything by. Both um, both about, both Jodie Mac's and, and this one, the Thai one, were, were touching on travel, I think, the travel log and maybe images that you bring home from travel, this, this kind of idea, yeah. both, both vibrant, but had a bit of a kick to them. The Thai one is, the voiceover is this automated voice like you'd get on a, um, what, what's her name, Alexa type of voice, right. um, which guides us through Thailand entirely through images that you get from from like online content and, and right. tourist yeah. brochures and so a very digital film versus Jody's which is sixteen right uh, and True. very beautiful but both extremely colorful and like good examples of <laughs> what you can do with both mediums I feel like or both you know kind of yeah. aesthetics yeah I don't know just films both films that just felt very free I just felt like a filmmaker who felt like very very free in, in, uh, in what they were doing. And yeah, I mean, the, uh, Jody Mack's film took her five years, I think she said. Oh, is that what she said? Yeah. To make, because, you know, they're photographing. You oh, know, it, it seems like the process is ridiculous. Like, I'll look yeah. at a scene and you see what's got to be dozens of textiles or fabrics flashing before your eyes and you're yeah. thinking that each of these has to be like placed there and then right. animated. And, yeah. and they're in weird public, most of it's in this sense, or in this uh, case, like public places she's you know, arranging these uh, kind of yeah. strange tableau of fabrics, yeah. uh, which a lot of our other films, you know, they're probably made in a home or a studio of some sort. So it was interesting to see it out in public and yeah. moving across all these different countries. Yeah, it's well worth, I mean, I'm sure there are some clips of her, her past work online. It's well worth. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you can look at a lot of that up. And, and uh, I, I also love how it ends that, <clears throat> I mean, some of the patterns they show at the end, the audio switches off from any sort of musical background, just the sound of, oh the, right, the sound of her putting each individual textile, right, snapping a shot, moving it, yeah, putting another in position mm. for a few. So you suddenly have, you know, you're you're right by her side in a way at, at the end after all of it. It's like the curtains. You're behind the curtain for a second. <laughs> yeah, and then right when you get used to that, then it ends with like a very funny gag. Let's say. The last sound of the film, which got a, a great reaction, oh, yeah. where, where you where you hear her for yeah. a second, which is very funny. Yeah, it's and it likes nice. punctuation mark after a sixty-minute kind of visual uh, feast. Yeah, another bit of found found audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that seems like a nice nice way to end. And I guess there are you know obviously more films that we could have could have talked about, but that seems like a good sampler. No one wants to talk about anything they didn't like, I guess, so. No, no, of course. <laughs> Maybe it's the setting where, where it's so idyllic here. We That's don't right. want to be negative. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we all want to work together in, in, in Swiss camaraderie, multicultural <laughs> camaraderie. Um, well, thank you both so much. Thank for, you. you know, thank and, you. And uh, thank you, Locarno, for having good films. Yes. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. 
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.